You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So what are we talking about tonight? You know, I don't know a whole lot, you know. Well, I mean, obviously I don't know a whole lot in general, but, you know, <laughs> even tonight, it's, uh, well, I mean, we, we can get into that, you know, and, uh, like, this is actually kind of a fun time of year. And by the way, everybody, hi, welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast is... Chris and I figure out what the heck we're going to talk about this week after a two-week vacation. Yeah, this is the kind of planning that we put into this. We're just going to say, hey, let's wing it. Nothing wrong with but, that. But no, I, I mean, there's there's something I like about this time of year because it's... If you're a pro sports fan, this is kind of a doldrums month, February. You know... Yeah, the NFL just ended, so everybody's kind of on the, you know, the big downer there. You know, NBA and, you know, hockey don't, let's face it, the regular seasons don't count. <laughs> uh, they don't. Well, I they, mean, they, they count in, in so much as getting into the playoffs, but yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so they eliminate the bad teams, and then some mediocre teams will make it. But as a general rule, the regular season doesn't matter. And so yeah, you're in the you're really in the dog days right now. And I mean, I guess you can pretend that you care about the All Star Game, but you don't. <laughs> you're not going to remember any of this next year. You're in a, and next year they'll be writing the same stories about how this saved the All Star Game, and this is the because they do it every year, and it's you forget just how crappy it was the year before. And yeah, so like if you're a pro fan, this is kind of a, a nowhere zone. It, it, February is such a bad month for pro sports fans that people celebrate pitchers and catchers just showing up for work and then going home. Yeah. Like, pitchers and catchers reporting, they literally just report. That's all they do. They don't even throw a ball. They don't touch a ball. I mean, they might on their free time. But, I mean, (laughs) it's just, hey, I still exist. And the team's like, cool, you can go home now. And we're supposed to be like, wow, that was a really big deal. But like for college fans, like this is a really big time of year. I mean, I mean, yeah, the tournament's bigger, you know, come March. But this is actually the part of the regular season where it's like we're sorting out who goes to the tournament. So you know, yeah. this is like this is the last month of the NBA or NHL season. You know, this is you know, hey, we're we're sorting out things. We know who's good, who's not. We're finding out who makes the tournament. You know, seating is getting decided. So I, it, okay, not the most exciting thing but you know we're getting there baseball softball underway we don't need to talk about people showing up we had opening night <laughs> there were actual pitches 
thrown in anger and people hit the ball in return. And, and, you know, and Jim, we're, you know, it's, it, that doesn't really get going until April, but like, at least for us, like they turn the corner. So there was kind of a big meet this weekend. So it's just, I don't know. I kind of feel like college sports, this is kind of where everybody's getting revved up. I mean, it's still regular season. It's not the best time of year, but it feels like everyone's in action right now. Yeah, it, It's not quite tourney time, but at least important things are happening in college sports. And so it's a kind of a cool time. I can turn on ESPN Plus and I have, you know, a ton of options of what to watch. And that's cool. Indeed. We're a little more invested in the hockey side of things. So if we're available to watch it when it's on, we're watching it when it's on regular season or no. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm like that with the Caps, even though they're on a losing streak right now. So I'm, you know, just getting more and more depressed every time they, you know, and like I'm I'm a big European soccer fan. So like I was watching Leeds this weekend and they've, you know, finally won a game. So I'm, I'm in a pretty good mood about that. And, you know, the league hammered Man City, and that was kind of cool. It was good to see someone actually get punished for cheating. I'm just saying, like, you can, <laughs> you can do that in sports leagues. Not that we're casting aspersions on any particular sports league, are we? Or any other team. Or, but, like, even, like, on a college standpoint, like, I don't really care if they pay players. I, I just don't. It's, it is now such a fait accompli we're now just waiting for them to make it officially legal. I, I mean, we're still in this trial period, but like things like the North Carolina grade fixing scandal, that bothers me. That's the kind of cheating that actually really bothers me, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, what Baylor, you know, if you're going to cover up a bunch of rapes, that's bad. Yeah. Like uh, that's the kind of, those are the kind of handles where maybe they could have a penalty more significant than, you know, you forfeit some games. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. It, it, it can be done. But like, yeah, like for like LSU to tie it into last year, maybe uh, it was unproven that uh, Will Wade was talking to an agent to try and get a player to go to LSU. But, Let's be honest. He was talking to an agent to get him to come to LSU. <laughs> I, I just don't care. I, I mean, it's just a game that is so fundamentally corrupt. It's hard to be upset about someone participating in the corruption that everybody knows that's going on. Yeah. It's like the scene in Casablanca where it's just like, you know, I am shocked to discover that there's gambling going on <laughs> in this establishment. Shocked. Shocked. You're winning, sir. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yeah, like, so, I mean, there's stuff outside of college to get excited about. But I do like this kind of year because it's just kind of we're – still, we're still selling hope. I'm going to be honest. I don't think the basketball team is going to make a deep run in the tournament. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I, yeah. I don't think they're deep enough. I don't think they have enough size. I, I think – I think Will Wade is a great coach. Um, I think Skyler Mays has truly come into his own as, as a, you know, just a playmaker in general. Um, also, Darius Days has, you know, made some, you know, spectacular plays um, down the stretch. And it was nice to see him do those kind of things. It's just that, you know, at the end of the day, this team only goes about seven deep. 
Um, they're not particularly big. Uh, they, you know, they they don't shoot that great. Apparently, since the Vanderbilt game, their defense has been figured out. I don't think there's that much truth to it. But on the other hand, it's just that this is a team that's been playing with house money. They've been playing kind of over their heads, and they'll make the tournament. They'll be somewhere between a five and an eight seed. If everything breaks right, they'll make the Sweet 16. If things break poorly, they'll lose in the first round. And it'll be an okay season. I mean, like, that's just kind of where this team is. Yeah. And, I mean, I wish I could be more excited about it. I mean, I am excited because it's it's much better than what men's basketball has been for the previous decade. Yeah. And honestly, this is kind of what success is. You know, it's not just having one great year and then four bad years, which was the kind of the John Brady method. You know, anytime everyone thought about firing him, he would win an SEC championship <laughs> and then have four straight losing seasons. So it's good to see them follow up a really good team with a good team. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the team's fun to watch. They've got likable players. I, mean, I still love Emmett Williams. It's just that this team's not going to win the national championship. I don't think the most diehard purple and gold glasses wearing hardcore, you know, Dale Brown's coming back tiger basketball fan can look at this team and say, Hey, that looks like a final four squad. It just does it. Yeah. And so I think it's a successful year. If this team gets to the sweet 16, I think it's a successful year just to make the tournament. Yeah. Going into the year, I did not think this was going to be a tournament. It was a borderline tournament team. Right now, I don't want to say they're a lock for a tournament because if they keep losing games to Vanderbilt and Alabama, they need to cut that out. Yeah. But they're going to play Kentucky. After that, they need to win out after the Kentucky game in the regular season. If they can do that, they'll make the tournament, and that's a successful year. It's a very successful year if they make the Sweet 16. Beyond that, yeah, let's just – just kind of know where your team is, if that makes any sense. Like, right. don't – yeah, like, what your goals are. I mean, this isn't – the. I mean, they just lost too much of a last year's team to reasonably expect them to get better. Yeah. So, I mean, I've enjoyed this season. They're still fun to watch. I think everybody should watch them down the stretch. I'm excited about the Kentucky game. And I'm not writing it off. They can beat Kentucky. I mean, yeah. this is a team you – know, they can beat anyone on any given weekend – the problem is, is they can't beat anyone that beat another one that beat another one and then beat another one. They, they just don't have that. I don't think they have a deep run in them. There, there's just too many variables. Too many things need to go right. Right. The The capabilities of the team as a whole isn't there yet. Yeah. And and that's not a – actually, I think that's a compliment way. He, he's building something that has a foundation where – Hey, you're step back here. You're still going to, you know, win 10, 11 games in conference. You're still going to be in the top 25 at points of the season. I know they just fell out. But, you know, you can still be a competitive team without, you know, everyone's just so, you know, championship or bust all the time. Right. So it's, yeah, accept the team for what it is. And, hey, look, and women's hoops having one of its best years in a while. Yeah, they're looking really good. And... I'll be honest on this one. I'm not going to pretend that I have been locked in to women's hoops. Um, I used to be, you know, when they had Simone and Sylvia Fowles and Tamika Johnson. But it's just, I mean, they've they've hit hard times. 
So it's nice to have a team that is winning again, and I have not quite jumped on the bandwagon yet. Right. So I think I will skip uh, the next game where they play South Carolina because South Carolina is awesome. Yeah. I don't want that to be my first, you know, full game. I, I think I'll wait a game. and But this is, you know, once again, a team that could it, – it, pretty much the same as, as the men's team. Hey, make the tournament. See if you can make the Sweet 16. And, you know, uh, apparently, you know, Faustine – Afua has been really, you know, really good. Uh, she's really kind of blossomed into, you know, a top player. And that's something that LSU has lacked, just, you know, a a huge impact player like that. Right. So, and, so yeah, so we'll see if this is a, we'll see if this is a turning point for the program, if they can get back. Because it's weird to look at the, you know, SEC standings and not see Tennessee at the top of it anymore. Indeed. But also, you know, not to see LSU up there. You know, LSU spent a very long time being, you know, not the only second fiddle because, you know, Georgia was good for a long time as well. And it's not like South Carolina just got good last year or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it is weird. Uh, there has been a changing of the guard in SEC women's hoops. And, you know, after, God, it's almost been a decade. It's been more than a decade since you had the Pokey Chapman teams and – I don't think they'll get back to that level because I do think that's kind of like a historical outlier for the program. Mm -hmm. But if they can get back to like a sweet 16, kind of the level they're playing at this year, I'd be incredibly satisfied with that. Yeah. And, and I know some fans would be like, you're just settling for mediocrity, but you know, (laughs) sometimes you just got to know where your level is And, and look, and then when that's your baseline, every so often you can have that generation that maybe gets you a title. And I think that's the kind of the tragedy of that team. They had, you know, two all time greats right. on the team at once. And they just couldn't quite win a national championship. And that goes back to my theory that flags fly forever. Mm. But speaking of flags flying forever, the intimidator still out there in baseball. Mm. And we are now, I guess now more than 10 years removed from LSU's last title. And I think now it's, I think Maneri has got to be hearing it at this point. I mean, he, people have always complained about it, you know, that he's not skip. And kind of the answer to that is no one is right. Exactly. Also, also college baseball has changed. There's just more good teams. Yeah. But like, I know they'll say like, you know, he's not at the level of Vanderbilt, but if you look at like, this is a team that's always in the mix. We no longer go to Omaha every year, but it is a rare LSU team that you say, even mid-season, well, this team's not going to Omaha. Right. They are always right in the mix, even when they're not favored to make it. But I have to say, like, it's really early, and there are some holes in this team, but I really like the makeup of this year's roster. I, I think this has the potential to be a great LSU team, baseball mm. team, which is weird because I think people have kind of written them off in the preseason. They, you know, they were, you know, they're picked around like between 10th and 15th by the major publications. I think, you know, they were like th- pick third to finish in the SEC West. And you know, look, they took two or three from Indiana and, you know, the talk afterwards is, you know, they should have swept them, but I don't know. I, I think, I think it comes down to the fact that 
and this is the big if, if the pitching staff can stay healthy, which has really just tanked the team the past couple of seasons, right. just how many injuries this team has had, this could be a great LSU team, mainly because you've had all these guys with starting experience or at least who were highly recruited who are now all healthy. Finally. And so if yeah, finally. So if you can get, you know, Henry and Walker and Hill and Hilliard and you know, you know, Labus and get all, you know, Marceau, get all these guys to actually be on the same roster and all contributing. I mean, this could be a a really good team. There's only so many people you can put in the rotation. And I mean, I think what you can you can see is kind of as you get to the postseason. I mean, this is still a long way away of some kind of like super pen where you can say, "Hey, you know, we can throw Hilliard at you. You know, we can go, you know, Beck Weitmeyer. Then we can throw one of the let's say Labus who doesn't who you know might not make it as a starter, and then go Fontenot, where you can be kind of like the Yankees when they had both Wetland and Mo Rivera." where you can shorten a game to six or seven innings and then turn it over to this pen that just is unbeatable. Yeah. And uh, that's an incredible weapon if it develops. We're, we're not there there yet, but you can kind of see that potential that it could happen. I think that explains why the team is ranked where it is, is there's such an unknown factor regarding the makeup of this pitching staff because the defense and the hitting, it's there's an expectation there that's not unreasonable. We kind of know what we've got. It's is the pitching staff going to be complementary to that to lend it itself to a level of success to take the team to where we want the team to go. And so I yeah, think I, that's the, what the sports writers yeah, are kind of looking at is we're we're unsure. But we know the reputation of everything else, so this is where we're going to situate them for now. Also, there's the thing that these guys have been so injured in the past, don't count on them to suddenly get healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jaden Hill, he's a junior, and I think he's only thrown he's thrown less than 10 innings in his mm -hmm. LSU career. And I don't know if you saw any of the first weekend, but God, he's got so much pop on his fastball. Mm. It, 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 and this is the big if. If Jaden Hill is healthy, he might be our best starter. Mm. I mean, that he can – he can bring it. I mean, just an explosive 98 mile an hour fastball. And it's weird. It's, you wouldn't think there's that much difference between a 93, 94 and a 98 mile an hour fastball. It's only four more miles, but there really is. You can tell it just watching. It sounds different. It hits the glove different. It just looks different. He is so overpowering mm. and you know, you don't want to rush this guy because he's been so injured. And he's, you know, had so many pit stops in his career. But there was a reason he was such a highly sought-after pitcher and recruit in the first place. And if I'm Paul Maneri, I am not just, you know, throwing him to the wolves. I, I am nursing him along. Right. But that's kind of your long-term project. This is a guy who you think final series of the regular season, he could be in your rotation. Mm -hmm. and, and that completely changes – and not by necessity, by choice, because you have options. And that completely changes this team, you know, to have yet another arm out there. I mean, they basically have a shadow rotation of, of what ifs. And mm. but that's on top of the three guys they have in there. 
the three guys that they're starting are the three guys they want to start. I mean, it's Henry Marceau, Labus, and then behind them you have kind of like the injury trio of Hill, Walker, and Stores. Stores is the only one of those three who I really don't ever see becoming a starter again. Yeah. I mean, but that's like three guys sitting back there of like, hey, if any one of these starters has a bad year, you know, just can't find their stuff, there is someone right behind them ready to step up. And we'll see if it happens. But this is a, you know, a potentially a really, really good pitching staff. Yeah. And can stores be, you know, maybe a deep reliever for you when one of your starters just inevitably has one of those bad days and we're yeah. already in the second inning and he's given up 10 hits and seven runs and it just nothing's working, you know, can stores be that guy? Because oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what you uh, need I, on those on days like that. So, yeah, I mean, I absolutely believe that stores is, you know, he, when he came here, he was, you know, one of the top prospects in the country. I, I just, you know, he missed all last year with a medical red shirt. You know, he, he's only, he's another guy who's only pitched, you know, a couple of relief innings and then got hurt. So he, he's definitely a guy I just kind of want to bring along slowly, just, just to bring him along slowly. But yeah, like he's a guy, I trust his stuff. I just don't trust his endurance. Mm. I mean, if you can throw Nick stores out there for two innings in relief, well, that's, that's awesome. I think he can be your relief ace. I think he can be the guy that can come in and, you know, get out. And that's even before you say, hey, Devin Fontenot is your closer. And, you know, you already have two guys you trust and Beck and Weitmeyer back there. I mean, there are so many options in this pen. And it's that's really exciting. Yeah. The problem is, is when you start turning around and looking at the hitting side, you're just like, okay, like there's again, there's potential there. But the potential there is a little bit different. Like, I know Nick Storrs can pitch because I've seen it. I mean, he got hurt and he didn't pitch that much. But I've I've seen the talent, and also he was a you know a top one hundred draft prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, Jaden Hill. I I have seen it with my own two eyes. That guy can pitch. The question is whether he can stay healthy. The hitting is more. Hey, we have JUCOs and freshmen, and people have told me they can hit. I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And that's a different kind of question mark. Um, it's not so much health. It's can they step up a level? And I do think it's interesting that this week Paul has said that he's going to try – I'm sorry. He, he, he's going to try Zach Mathis at shortstop. How Hughes – I mean, he hit under 200 last year. And I know batting average is an overrated stat, but – it's almost got to the point where batting average is underrated, and there's just no way to dress up hitting 188. Right. I mean, I mean, how Hughes was a terrible hitter last year, but you could almost carry it if he's making plays with a glove. And I mean, he wasn't awful this first weekend, but there were a couple play like there was a made-to-order double play in Game Three, and he bobbles the ball, commits an error, all the runners are safe. Indiana attacks on two runs and it turns a three, one game into a five, one, a five, one game. And in the end, it didn't make the difference in the game because, you know, LSU still lost five to two, but it, it killed any reasonable chance of a comeback. Right. And again, you can carry a terrible hitter if he's just, 
you know, if he's Mark Belanger out there, the glove. Mm-hmm. Again, kids, Mark Belanger was a shortstop who played for the Orioles in the 70s. He's considered one of the greatest defensive shortstops of all time and couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. <laughs> You're welcome. That was your old guy reference of the of the show. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're going to try and put Mathis in that spot. Now, Mathis, third base has been an adventure for LSU for decades, it seems. I don't know what it is about third base, but it always seems that third, not always, but third base is usually the problem, finding a guy to man the hot corner. And they got Zach Mathis as a Juco transfer. He looked great this first weekend. He played the position great. He, you know, picked up a couple of hits. He scored some runs. He looked, you know, he hit a home run. He looked like he belonged. And immediately in it's like, hey, can this guy play shortstop? Mm. And... <laughs> On the one hand, that's I think that shows how serious the problem is at shortstop. You know, this is a third base has been this, as I've frequently referred to it over the past decade, the vortex of suck. <laughs> Zach Mathis comes in and immediately plugs the hole, looks great, and it looks like the answer, and immediately turns to say, okay, can he answer another question? That is how serious the shortstop problem is. Now, I... I like playing him there in a midweek game to see if he can handle it. Because if Zach Mathis can play shortstop, then that clears up one of the biggest log jams on the roster, which is the battle between Gavin Duga and Kay Dowdy at second base. Right. Where you have two guys, you have the incumbent and you have the hotshot freshman, and you want them both to play. Yeah. And neither of them have quite earned the job yet, but no one's lost the job. I mean, it's only been one week. But if you can move one of them to third, you can have both their bats in the lineup and you can put Mathis at shortstop. And I think it's a tremendous compliment to Mathis. And it shows kind of the confidence he already has in Zach Mathis saying, okay, worst comes to worst, I've already solved this third base problem. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can solve the shortstop problem, and then I'll try someone else out at third. Because I think at that point, you can then put out your strongest lineup. You can get – because Manier has clearly been playing with lineups so he can get both Doughty and Gavin Dugas into the lineup. Yeah. Or is it Dugas? It's weird. It's, it's You can, don't come to LSU with a French-looking name and <laughs> pronounce it Dugas. I, I cannot – I cannot do that. It is Dugas. You are now Dugas. I'm sorry. And and unless you hit until you hit 300, you don't get to say what your name is. Right. <laughs> you're gonna French, and then we're gonna call you Dugas because you're now officially one of us. Right. Um, but it was interesting to see, like, yes, he, he all of a sudden has you know options behind the plate, and you know Saul Garza spent. You know, and Alex, you know, Malazzo spent a game behind the plate. Garza spent a game at DH. Kind of showed that he's willing, you know, Travinsky had a game at DH. It showed that he's willing to play all of the catchers. But also what was really surprising is that uh, DiGiacomo didn't start the first game at center field. Mm. And in these midweek, mid-week games, Mo Hampton's going to play center field. So it, he's already signaling that center field he is willing to experiment out there. Yeah. And... I, I I like that early in the year. You know, find your best guys. Find the hot bat. This is the time to do it. You would rather have a guy trying to find 
I'd rather a manager or coach. I mean, but you know, I still think of it as in baseball, it's always a manager, even if it's not. Right. It's the manager's prerogative to find that perfect combination against live action early in the year. And, you know, a college baseball season is a lot shorter than a major league season. Out-of-conference games don't matter quite as much. I mean, it's conference play that really matters. But this is the time to tinker. And particularly midweek games, I like that he's doing this. It it shows one of two things. Either Meniere is very confident in his team and the depth that he has, and he's just trying to find the right combination. Right. Or... He hasn't won a title since 2009, and he's beginning to hear people complain, and he's already panicking in February. Yeah. I don't know. Just based upon what we've seen from him since he came here, I don't get that sense that he panics easily. Now, granted, you could say, well, it's been 10 years. You know, If he's not going to panic now, then when, when would he? But at the same time, I, I don't know. I just I think it's more the former than the latter from what I think you're so saying. Too. I'm at least leaving it open as the possibility, but I, I do agree with you. I, I think he's a guy who's always been – every coach says they don't read the papers or they don't listen to the chatter. I mean, you're, I don't want to say – they all do, but I think he's done a very good job of just kind of plotting his own course. And yeah. I think he is comfortable enough in his position <clears throat> that he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. And honestly, I, I like what he's doing right now. I, I think – Giving Mathis a shot at short is exactly what he should do. And look, Mo Hampton was, you know, he was at the White House a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, he with the football team. This guy isn't, I mean, he's not baseball ready. So this is why you play him in midweek games because you want to get a, a guy of his caliber, you know, an, an athlete like that, a special talent. You want to get him on the field as quickly as possible. That's how you know. That's how you get him up to speed. Give yeah. him reps, yep. and you know you don't want to risk it against Indiana. He, I think he only had he had one at bat. I think the entire he might have had two. I'm not looking at a score sheet, but he, you know, he he barely played in the opening series, which makes sense. I wouldn't expect him to play this weekend, but to get two midweek games, that's exactly what you want out of Mo Hampton. And if he starts, you know, getting hits, getting confidence he can maybe find himself in that regular lineup mm-hmm. and it, you know, man, it transforms the outfield because I mean, Cabrera is obviously your star, but if you can go, you know, Cabrera, Bianco and Mo Hampton, that that's quite a trio. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do like, I don't like losing Adia Giacomo because I do like his glove. But once again, I like having options. I like being able to say, hey, this is a radical thought. Maybe we can have a platoon where we can match up against righties differently than we match up against lefties. It's a crazy thought. Yeah. And, and I think that's been, if you want to have a big knock on Manieri, that has really been the fair one. That his he has not cared much about handedness in recruiting. And he's ended up with these rosters that are so heavily right-handed that first, like, I mean, he didn't have a lefty reliever all last year, which is insane. And two lefties, I think even three lefties appeared this this weekend. I mean, I mean shock of all shocks. Hmm. I mean, that completely, I, the platoon advantage is real. And then also on the other side, the hitting, LSU has been very vulnerable over the past couple of years to what I call the lefty soft tosser, 
where you know some team finds some junk baller, but just because he's a lefty and your entire team's full of righties, they have problems just hitting in and I hate to say it like this, but an ordinary pitcher just because of the, you know, the handedness matchup. And I think if you can all of a sudden say, Hey, well, I have some left-handed hitters. It changes what you can do all of a sudden, because you're no, you know, you're no longer just trotting out the same lineup every time. But, you know, you know, you have K Beloso as a lefty at first base. That's kind of standard. But if, you start looking down the lineup, you know, Zach Mathis hits lefty, and that gives you a huge option there, which would be weird for a shortstop. But, you know, that, that changes the thing. You know, Giacomo is a lefty, so, you know, you could put him in against, you know, right-handed pitchers. You know, Cabrera is a lefty, but he's going to play every game. You know, West too is a lefty, and he could, you know, be part of a platoon with Hampton. I, it, it gives you a lot more options, and I, I really – I like where this is going where that he, he can look at his roster and say, oh, you're going to throw this at me. This is how we react. And the last couple of years, LSU baseball has said, oh, this is what you're going to throw at us? Well, we're in trouble. We have no response. <laughs> and, and it's not that Paul didn't know how to respond. It's that he didn't have the guys to respond with. Right. And once again, that's his own fault because he's, he's responsible, you know, responsible for his own roster. But some of it was injuries. But you would like to see a – it looks like this team is a lot more balanced lefty righty. And I, I think that changes the makeup of this team. Yeah. It's certainly, well, it's what you want. Like you were saying, if you're just throwing the same thing out there every week, what's stopping the opposing coach from giving you what you're not gonna be able to handle. Yeah. And that's kind of what's happened to them, to them in the postseason. that there's been a book on how to beat LSU and it's worked. And, mm it hurts when it's like the lefty soft tosser because LSU has lost to some pitchers. They weren't bad pitchers, but they're not losing to the ace of stats. Like they'd go out there and, you know, bang around an ace. And then in the response, they'll bring out, you know, their number four midweek starter and baffle us. Right. And that, that's just a, as a fan, that's incredibly frustrating. Mm. And I don't think this team's as vulnerable to that this year. And also like with a staff last year of nothing but right-handed starters and an entirely right-handed bullpen. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out how to match up against LSU, you know, how to make a lineup, just throw as many lefties as you can, and <laughs> LSU couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. And now they can throw some relievers out there, and you can't just empty your bench of lefties. and That's a huge deal. So that goes against why I, I like this team, even though I don't think it's – well, definitely on the hitting side, it's not as talented as last year's team. But I, I do think the pen is more talented. But I think it's a better, more well-rounded team. I like where I'm sitting right now, day one, you know, after the first weekend, 2020, I feel better about LSE baseball than I did in 2019 because that handedness problem, you could just see that it was going to be a problem. Yeah. And there was no solution. You're just like, well, we just got to ride this out and just hope we can out we can out hit teams. And eventually, when you get into the postseason, you're going to play a really good team, but you just can't bludgeon. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with Florida State. Florida State you know, is an incredibly talented team that had one of the greatest coaches of all time. You can't just you know, keep hacking and expect to win. I mean, maybe it'll happen, but you give a team like Florida State options, they're probably going to beat you. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. And. I don't think this year's team is as vulnerable to that. So 
I'm, I am, I don't want to say, forget cautiously optimistic. I am optimistic about this year's <laughs> baseball team. I think they, I think it's going to be a really good team. I think they're going to go to Omaha. I don't want to quite go as far as saying they're going to win a national championship, but Omaha, like th- this team's goal is Omaha. Yeah. And it's good to say that. Now, we've all been spoiled by the football team. We all, you know, want national championships nonstop now. <laughs> and, but, you know, what are you going to do? So, hey, look, the football team's not, not going to win the national championship next year probably. So, But they will still be better than people think they're going to be. I think so, too. Uh, yeah, like, they lose a lot, but it, it's, you know, I don't want to, you know, do, like, next year's preview kind of thing, but... I really like next year's defense and a lot depends on miles Brennan. I, I just don't know how good he's going to be. Yeah. And, but if miles Brennan turns out to be a very good sec quarterback, I'm not saying Heisman levels, but just very good. He can't just be eh, or just, yeah, he's pretty good. He needs to be very good. Yeah. It, 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 if he's at very good levels, his team wins 10 games. So there's a lot of they will go as the quarterback goes, which is a weird thing to say for LSU. I can't believe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, the staff is handling it the proper way right now. What they're saying publicly is is the right thing, and it's the true thing. No one should be expecting Miles Brennan to be Joe Burrow because there's only one Joe Burrow. Yeah. But what we want is Miles Brennan to be the best Miles Brennan. Which is right. exactly what I tell my own kids, because all three of them are participating in a sport of some kind. And th- this started with my now teenager back when he first started playing hockey. He, I told him, look, I don't expect you to be the best player on the ice. I just expect you to, to be the best you. And you kind of know that about your own kid when you, you, when you watch him, yeah. right? You, you know when he's slacking off and when he's he's really trying. And if he's trying his best and he gets beat, well, then that's just the way it is, right? I, I got no complaints at that point. And so I think that's the way that the fans need to approach Miles Brennan, too. You, you want Miles to be the best at what he's good at and not expect him to be someone he's not. Yeah, and also you want him to bring the skills that he brings. Like, Miles Brennan's, you know, has a has a big arm. Yeah. So... You want to be able to see him make some big, you know, downfield throws. And we okay. know we know we've got the receivers to make that happen too. Yeah, so that's what I want to see out of him. And if he, you know, throws the ball downfield and he's, you know, trying to make it happen, throws a pick. I mean, I'm not happy that he throws a pick, but that's the way life goes. I mean, you know, you, you live the gunslinger's life. <laughs> you know, you die the gunslinger's death. Right. And so, yeah, we'll we'll burn that bridge when we get there. I don't want to. I don't want to get too caught up in football right now it's it's the off season people take take some time off for god's sake there are other sports yeah i mean yeah we're in a this is a big time here jim's doing awesome they finally scored over 197 they've turned it around they're on every friday watch that the basketball team getting ready for the you know hoops men women softball looks really good they just had a you know a home and home with ul lafayette which is a huge deal yeah and like let football be football. It, it'll, it'll be there in the fall. I, I promise you. Before you know it, it'll be back. Hell, and I'm sure we will obsess over spring practice. But <laughs> just take some time. If nothing else, forget the time off. Just take the time just to enjoy winning the national championship. Yeah, speaking, it, speaking of that, one of our questions tonight came from Jacob Hibbard. And he asked, has it really set in yet that we just witnessed 
the greatest season by a quarterback and greatest team of all time, and they were our Tigers. God, yeah, I think it is starting to sink in just yeah. how great of a year it was. I mean, I remember at the time, you know, we we talked about this a lot. Take the time to enjoy this team because teams like this don't happen. But I was thinking of it more from like an LSU standpoint. It's like, hey, this is the team that you're going to tell your kids about kind of thing. Right. But now that, you know, in the course of a season, you care about LSU. You don't think as globally. But now that you can take a couple steps back and see how many guys are going to the draft and how highly touted some of these players are going to be. And also just what they accomplished, just the level of destruction they left in their wake. Yeah, this is a team that could credibly be called one of the greatest teams of all time. Yeah. And God, it's really fun. So yeah, like, am I worried about who's going to be the starting left guard next season? No, I, I just don't care yet. I'm sorry. And I know it's, it's Ed Orgeron's job to worry about that stuff now. So but don't not, worry about it right now. <laughs> yeah. But it's not my job to worry about that. You know, like I can live in, I can live in the past for right now. I'm living in the, you know, in the moment. For me, the moment's not over. I think for the players, it's probably over. You know, they're either trying out for the draft or they're now working on next season. But yeah. I think it's fans, dude. Yeah, like nothing can take anything away from it. And I, I think the, the part of the thing of like, hey, this team's going to suck next year. You know, they're going to fall back. It's basically a way for fans of other teams to try and say, well, you know, it was just a fluke. Mm-hmm. It, it was a fluke. This was a great team and it was awesome. And I welcome your hatred and <laughs> I see what you're trying to do there, but nope, this team was great. And we make no apologies that not only were they great, they were fun. Yeah. What a great combination that is. Like how often, like so many times great teams just, you know, they're kind of clinical. Business- yeah. Business-like. Yeah. This team was not business-like. No. You know, they had a good time. You know, they, they did goofy dances and, you know, they just, you know, they, they got the gat. It, it was just a, just a really, really fun team. Uh, um, so yes, it has sunk in, but I want it to sink in even more. So I'm going to lie, lie here and just let the greatness of that season just overwhelm me again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it has not gotten old yet with other on LSU fans remarking on it. Because last week, one of my kiddos got braces on, and our orthodontist is a Baylor guy, and he was just, he knew we were we are LSU people, and so when he saw me, when I came back with, with my son, he's like, whoa, <laughs> he's like, he couldn't get over the season that we had, and, you know, he's talking about Burrow, you know, is he going to the Bengals, where else would he go if he doesn't, you know, all that kind of stuff, so... It, it's definitely something that has permeated beyond just our little circle of fandom. Yeah, what I think is cool about it is it's it's hard to tell within the confines of the SEC because everybody hates each other. Mm-hmm. But sort of outside our tight rivalries, LSU is not a particularly hated brand. Everybody hates Ohio State. Everybody <laughs> hates Bama. I mean, those are just kind of nah. Clemson, I think people liked, but now they're just kind of getting sick of. Mm. You know, but so we're kind of Clemson of five years ago, where it seems if you're a college football fan, you're just you're happy for LSU right now. Yeah. 
and that's kind of cool. It, it's kind of cool to feel like you're part of the good guys kind of stuff. Hmm. And it, it, you know, I live in Texas. So I'm a little bit out of SEC country. I mean, there are Aggies, but even them, you know, they're like, yeah, well, you were, you guys were really good this year. But it's, it's weird to just see fans be like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad someone who wasn't Bama or, or Ohio State or Clemson went it this year. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it, it there's kind of, and also like Edo has just become just kind of a symbol of everything that's good about college football. They're like, yeah, you know, how awesome is that? That guy's just super college football. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's nice. I don't think it's just LSU fans who have appreciated this team. I, I think, honestly, I, I think non-LSU fans had an easier time appreciating this season. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't have any angst. Right. And it was clear their team wasn't going to be in the mix. Yeah. You, we're, you're, we're, you root for the feel-good story. Yeah, we were an easy team to adopt. Now, that, does that mean that next year they'll be ready for us? No, of course not. No. You know, Now that you want a title, everyone wants you to die. Right. I get like. But this year's LSU team, I think, was generally beloved around college football. Now, I do not mean mean that there is no carryover. I think in 2020, they want us to go away. Mm. And we're not going away. No. Bring on the mailbag. Well, it's kind of a small mailbag this week. And we already, did, we already did Jacob's question. But uh, Steven wants to know, should he care about the XFL? Well, if you want to care, you should care. I, I am not the fan police. <laughs> I guess it depends Her- on how much you love football, you know? Yeah, I think it's, that's for me. Personally, I need the break. And I do say, say I used to love Renegade Sports Leagues. I loved the ABA. Um, I, I only caught the tail end of it as a little kid. Yeah. I loved the USFL. Mm. Uh, I mean, God, that I love the USFL. It was awesome. Yeah, I think that came along at just the right time of my growing up. That yeah, yeah, it, I'm right it, there with you. It was perfect. I was the right age. I, yeah, I loved it. Um, that said, I'm an adult dad. I got two kids. I need the break. I, I just can't watch other football league. And also, like I'm watching all these other LSU sports. I mean, we just got through talking baseball. You know, mm. we, you know, I got gym going on. I got you know softball, uh, men's and women's hoops. I, there's too much LSU sports going on. You know, keeping me from my kids. I, I can't do one. I can't add one more thing. And yeah, we have you know hockey and soccer. Uh, watching that stuff too. So for me, I didn't feel like there was this hole in my life. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a negative of, you know, oh, you people who, you know, <laughs> lose the NFL and you're just so empty inside. I just kind of meant, like, I still had a huge viewing calendar, and I don't want to shove one more thing in there. Yeah. But I understand, if, if you're a huge football guy, and all of a sudden Sundays are free, you're like, man, this sucks. You know, if you like it, jump right in. Go, to, you know, two feet. And one more thing to root for is not never a bad thing. But... Right now, I'm kind of cutting it off. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm at max capacity, or I'm at the most capacity I can take as a dad, because yeah. I just I can't add another. I would just feel like too terrible of a father. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I've ignored you for four months. Oh, look, <laughs> here's an upstart league. I can ignore you again. Yeah, I'm at that point now where I'm like you, and I've got a teenager who's playing both travel and high school hockey. We had a tournament this weekend. I watched zero sports outside of his hockey games this, this weekend. 
and they had you know they lost in the semifinals of the tournament earlier this morning as we're recording and on the high school side they're competing for a a jv championship at the highest jv level so i'm right there with you i watched most of one game of the xfl the opening weekend and part of another game I, I like what they're doing with the kickoffs. I think that's kind of a, a neat, pretty cool, yeah, a I neat do way like to that. do it. You have more of a chance of returns that way than the typical. Let's just kick it out of the out of the end zone. And like the, I don't like that it ruins onside kicks, but yeah. whatever. But and I, that's a a sad I, casualty. I like the way they're doing extra points. You know, you can choose one or two or three. You know, and, and the ball is set up depending on what, what you declare you're going to go for the ball gets placed on whatever yard line. That's not too weird and out of the box thinking. I think kind of like the, the first time around the XFL came on the scene was with some yeah, other things. It, I, I see those as like, I, I could see the NFL adopting those in the future. Like, like they're not that weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I like that. They've embraced the goofy a little bit. I, I like that. They had the beer cup snake. That's the DC Defenders game. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. That I did really see that on Twitter. That, that was pretty incredible. And I think they carried it out of the stadium. I saw a video. So good job, fans. Um, yeah, I, I like anything that embraces goofy. Uh, um, yeah. And, and yeah, it seems like because the original XFL was very you know extreme. Yeah, this is more like hey, come to the XFL. It'll be fun. It's a little goofy. I like that vibe better. Yeah, so, it definitely I, has a, a different vibe than the first time around. I, I don't want to come off as anti-XFL. I, I I do, in my heart of heart, love Renegade Sports Leagues. And I hope it works, and I'm glad people are supporting it. I just can't be the one to do it. Yeah. So it, it's I, I hope it eventually turns into a solid developmental league for the NFL. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I I might check out you know as it gets closer to the playoffs. But it's hard to build loyalties from scratch. Yeah, I just kind of wish the the Dallas team was a little closer. I mean, we're, I still have to haul, haul the way out to Arlington for it. Which, yeah, I mean, Arlington's, for those of you not knowing the, the intricacies of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex geography, Poser and I are more on the northeastern side of things, and. Also, Arlington's down on the southwestern time things. It, it, it's not. Dif- it, it's a little difficult to get there, especially if you're trying to get there uh, like to a baseball game on a Friday night. Uh, it, yeah, it's not pleasant at all for my. Yeah, and then you get there. I mean, I'd rather they be in Fort Worth. If I'm going to do that terrible drive, yeah, I'd rather end up in a cool city at the end of it. Right. Yeah, but I wish they were like in Plano or Frisco. You know, where yeah, they have Frisco the- would have been great. Right there, yeah, the, yeah. With the but yeah, there's no way the soccer team is going to let right them destroy their field. That's what I'm thinking is that um, there's too much overlap and, between the two seasons, and they're just not going to have that. But that would be the perfect place. Like yeah. it's the perfect size of a stadium. It wouldn't look you know out of place. It's easy to get to. Yeah, I kind of wish they were in Frisco. And also, look, Frisco hosts a lot of football games. You know, they have the the FCS championships played there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, there's good parking. I'm just saying, you know, just saying. It's, it's easy to get to. It's better than, and also anything's better than Arlington. It's the worst city in America. I hate that place. <laughs> God, I hate Arlington. So if you have a uh, hate mail for Poser because of his dislike of Arlington, all you Arlington citizens can send it to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just send it. 
at ATVS Poser <laughs> on Twitter. I will take all of your Arlington complaints. Your city sucks. And if you're sitting there listening going, what's Twitter? Well, we kind of can't help you there. Yeah, there I can't help you. All right, finally, the Mets theory says, <laughs> enough of this sports stuff. It's comic shop time. He would like our thoughts. Uh, well, I'm guessing it's a he, uh, but just based upon the, the Twitter avatar. Uh, Mets wants to know our thoughts on the new Batman movie, particularly the costume, but everything else too. Um, I try not to get too wrapped up in a movie before it comes out. I, I think it's weird for people to get these like really hardcore opinions about something that they've never seen. But since you're just asking about the so about the movie itself, meh, I have no idea. I mean, it could be good, it could be terrible. I have, I have no idea. Yeah. That said, the uh, the costume looks pretty cool. Not gonna lie, I like it. Yeah, I think it's it's been updated really cool. I, I it looks good. Um, I think one of the problems I was talking about this on with some friends, it's. I feel that Batman, in a way, has been trapped by... Uh, Frank Miller was both the best and worst thing that ever happened to Batman. Mm. Frank Miller is a gifted writer. He wrote The Dark Knight Returns, which is like the seminal Batman story now in the 80s. And it really revitalized the Batman brand. And it's... What you think of Batman now is the is the Frank Miller Batman. So on that thing, best thing that's ever happened to Batman. You know, the dark, gritty re- reboot... That's that's Frank Miller. That said, it's been about thirty years now. He wrote, I think, Bat, you know, Dark Knight Returns came out like in 86, 87. So we're on a good thirty years of gritty reboot. And <laughs> you know, Batman used to be the world's greatest detective, not you know, secret ninja man. And I don't know, I, we could use for a little bit lighter, softer touch or. I, dare I say it, a Batman with a sense of humor? Yeah. Hey, what a Batman that still can exist with Robin in it. I'm just throwing that out there. Like, I don't know. I, Batman's gotten so self-serious. I'd like to lighten the tone a little. Mm. Just because that would be a change of pace now. Yeah, to me, you know, The Dark Knight is always going to be the, not just the Batman film that all other Batman films are measured against, but the superhero film that all other superhero films are measured against. And one of those reasons is because we did see Batman be a detective in that movie. I, I still say that w- one of the best scenes in that film is when Gordon and Batman and Harvey Dent are on the roof of the building arguing. And we're not really paying attention to the guy in the cape. <laughs> you know, it's, it came across more as a, a crime thriller, not a superhero movie. And I think that was its strength. And so I'm with you in that regard. I want to see more of Batman as detective while still, you know, doing the ninja moves to bring the bad guys to justice. My hang up is so far is I feel the same way right now about the casting of Pattinson as I did when I found out that Ben Affleck was going to, play batman is i i'm gonna need yeah. to see it i to it doesn't it. Yeah. I, I, yeah i need to see it to believe it i what i i've heard about so far does not thrill me to me he's too much of a pretty boy i, I my fear is that it's gonna be another george clooney as bruce wayne disaster 
I hope that's not the case. You know, but people thought the same thing about Heath Ledger as the Joker. Right, and what a surprise that was. I mean, yeah, so, the yeah, guy so should have gotten an Oscar for, for that role. Yeah, so Robert Pattinson, I'm not going to completely write off his whole career because he was in the, you know, the movies, Twinkling Vampire movies. Right, the movies that but, should not be named. But, I mean, like, yeah, let, let's let the guy have a whole career before we just say, oh, he's defined by one role. Right, exactly. A, yeah, you know, prove it to me. Because, I, honestly, I felt kind of the same way when I heard that Michael Keaton was going to you know, play Batman. Michael Keaton? You oh, know, oh, don't, don't you not. Mr. Keaton Mom is going to be Batman, you know, but yeah. lo and behold, look at, uh, that's like my second favorite Batman film after the Dark Knight is Tim Burton's original Batman. So, and talk about a movie that Batman, you know, it does have a sense of humor. Sometimes also, it's a dark humor, but granted it was still there. And so, also, yeah. So Michael Keaton has always been just a little bit weird. Right. Like, there's always been an edge to Michael Keaton. You know right. that? Uh, but also, like, you know, Robert Pattinson, I mean, he's been in some really good movies yeah. recently. I mean, he was in Good Time, which, you, if you haven't seen that, is just an incredibly frenetic movie and, you know, dark and violent, but also really a propulsive. I, I hate that, you know, that's such a film critic word, but, you know, very propulsive film. It, it, like, it. It really flows from scene to scene to scene to scene, but also he was in the lighthouse. Yeah, and I mean that's a very artsy fartsy movie. But oh my god, did I enjoy the lighthouse? And it's one of my favorite movies of last year. Yeah. So like, Pattinson's grown on me. I mean, he he is more than just the Twilight guy. Yeah. I, I think it's unfair to reduce him to one role, particularly because he has tried to break out of that since then. Yeah, and he ha- he has shown the th- the thing is. Like as much as I love the lighthouse, he didn't carry the lighthouse. I mean, he, he was very, there was only two people in that movie, but it's Willem Dafoe's movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it's it's hard to I don't know. It's hard to dominate Willem Dafoe. He's just <laughs> such a you know he's such a force of nature. Yeah. Um. He's he is I think the guy who moves Good Time forward. So I, I think that's probably the movie he's most carried. But he doesn't really carry it. I think the plot kind of carries it. Like it's a film that the whole machinery of a movie works. Yeah. So as Batman, I mean, yeah, there'll be a machinery behind him because it's a comic book movie and blah, 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 blah. But he, you want him to have the force of personality to be the most dominant person on screen. Yeah. And I don't know if he can do that. I I don't, I'm not saying he can't, but I don't know if he can. Yeah. So, and let's see, you know, my other big hang up, well, just look at the, the cast we got, you know, Andy Serkis is going to play Alfred. I totally see that. I think he'll yeah, be awesome at it. Andy Serkis can do whatever the heck he wants. Yeah. I, I'm, I, no problem with that. But, the, but then we get into what I feel might be the problem, and that's what we've been told so far is that they're rolling out like the whole Batman Rogues Gallery for it. You know, we've got we Colin Farrell is going to be the Penguin, and Paul Dano is going to be the Riddler. And then we got Zoe Kravitz is going to be Catwoman. I'm kind of feeling like we might be putting too many eggs into the basket. When yeah, you, it could be like the Spider-Man 3 problem where you right. just have too many villains. And um, I think that's what works so well with, with Burt. Other than you know what Burton brought to those first two Batman movies of his, I felt like the, one of the strengths was that we just had you know the one focus. We had the Joker in the first one. We had the Penguin in the second one. And then once Burton 
kind of got out of it, we started having the revolving cast of Batmans, and it was like we're trying to cram as many Batman villains into all those films as we possibly could. And then, you know, when you had Christopher Nolan, he, he also kept it fairly simple. I mean, right. he had, I mean, he had Ra's al Ghul and the Scarecrow, but how many people knew Ra's al Ghul that weren't like hardcore, hardcore fans? Yeah. Hell, how many people knew Scarecrow? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like he, he was really kind of reaching back in the catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Cat, the Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler. That's, I mean, outside of the Joker, I mean, you, you've hit the greatest hits right there. Yeah. And, I look, I have a lot of comments in Colin Farrell. Uh, he's a guy who looked to be wasting his career 10 years ago mm. and has since then just turned in great movie after great movie. So, well, yeah, I'm not, and I'm not concerned about these actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm being able to pull off these roles. I'm just concerned about the, the plot being too convoluted to. Yeah, I'm with you. And also, like, yeah. you know, John Turturro is going to play Carmine Falcone. Yeah. So, like, how are you going to get him and, you know, you have. You know, Peter Sarsgaard is, you know, the D.A. Uh, Gil Coulson, Jeffrey Wright. I mean, this is a pretty loaded cast. And, I am like, very excited about Jeffrey Wright playing J- James Gordon. I think uh, that is going to be. That's a very good cast. Yes. It's going to be awesome. But, I mean, yeah, like, you're looking at this cast list, and you're like, oh, here's another star. Here's another star. Like, these guys are going to want their screen time. Yeah, exactly. So are we going to be able to put our egos aside for the, the benefit of the story? Because ultimately, that's what your audience is going to care about. Yeah, I mean, the movie's not called The Penguin. Right. It, it is a Batman movie. So, and also, you know, it starts getting to the thing with Spider-Man. Like, how many times can you reboot this thing yeah. in a short period of time? I mean, let it breathe. You have other characters. Yeah. I'm just saying, DC, you know, you could, hell, make make a Batgirl movie, you know? And, you know, this might be kind of a, a rehabilitation on DC's part with their cinematic universe after the Zack Snyder. Yeah. But you know, like years to, to put, to be kind. And so if, if that is the case, I'm a little more willing as a fan to put up with yet another reboot. If it's indeed a reboot, it might just be Batman exists. We're just kind of picking up the story where we are, which I would also be okay with because, you know, they just got Aquaman going. They got wonder woman, you know, up and going. That's true. We got another wonder woman film coming out this year which looks really good that's very excited you know wonder woman uh, of the reboot it's, since the nolan batman films wonder woman is my favorite dc film since since those. Yeah. so and, and then, like, i think it's like you know you had birds of prey but i haven't seen birds of prey yet because again i have kids so it's hard right. for me to get to the movie and but, you know uh, i didn't really see anything in it that that made me want to go see it and, and i think it's because it doesn't have Batgirl. I mean, it doesn't have Oracle because Oracle is one of the birds of prey. You're look. Well, I think it's uh, because I'm, we're mixing in Harley with it, you know, because Margot yeah. Robbie did such a great. You know, she was, let's face it, she was the only good thing about Suicide Squad. I agree with that. And yeah, so and they think, they wanted to milk that that property and her being that property, and this was the way to do it. I would have been much and, more enthused about Birds of Prey if it was just the Birds of Prey and no Harley. I agree because they kind of turned them into the B team, like the you know right. Gladys Knight, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and exactly. they're the Pips. Exactly. And you're kind of like, this is how Black Canary is going to get brought to the big screen? Like, yeah. as a supporting player? Yeah. Like, you know, Huntress. I mean, she should have her own film. Yeah, and I think the big one that's missing is Batgirl. I, yeah. uh, you know, Batgirl, Oracle. You know, we can leave out the whole killing joke thing so you can just go straight to Batgirl. Yeah. But I think not having a... Bo- the fact that we have had 
Batman films almost constantly since 1990s. So we're talking about 30 years of Batman films. And we do not have a convincing on-screen performance of Babs Gordon is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah. Hell, we don't even have... I mean, at least someone tried Robin. A couple of times. Yeah. I mean, Chris O'Donnell. Way to, you know... Way to give it a shot. I mean, they're terrible movies, but still, like... Yeah. They hinted at it there, you know, the yeah, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the Nolan thing. Yeah, I did, I did like that. That's probably my favorite part of the Dark Knight Returns, which I was not a huge fan of, but I did like the, the head nod to Robin. Yeah. But, like, Babs Gordon. This is not hard. Babs Gordon. And also, like, her outfit, like doesn't really need to be updated much to work in a film. I mean, she wears yellow Doc Martens, you know, and a and a leather jacket, you know, yeah. kind of stuff. It's she's already looks like a person like so many times they're trying to turn uniform, you know, uh, superhero costumes if they existed in the real world. Yeah. And they didn't adapt the character who is already adapted for the real world. It it, it blows my mind. Yeah. And, and she's a famous character who's pretty widely beloved yeah like the not having babs kills me but you know birds of prey like black canary being like a supporting character is in birds of prey Mm -hmm. that that should be your above the your big star should be black canary yeah and instead the big star is harley quinn and i like harley quinn she's a really cool character but if i'm if I'm like Harley Quinn's going to get a solo movie, well, let's see. Well, I'll, I'll try it with you. If you said Harley Quinn's going to get her solo movie and it's her first movie away from Joker, what character do you pa- pair her with? You're like, who makes the most sense to be with in a Harley Quinn? Film? Oh, wow, that's a good one. See, because for me, it's immediate. Because I think it's Poison Ivy. Yeah, that's the, probably the most logical choice. Like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy have been written together a lot. Yeah. And they make they kind of make sense together. It's a really they're a good coupling. They they complement each other well. And I don't know, it was a weird decision to do Birds of Prey instead of doing Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy. Yeah. My fear is that DC is suffering from the Lucasfilm disease of we don't have a cohesive plan for the overall universe and that, you know, maybe this is the the decision that was made because we're going to save Poison Ivy for something else. And yet at the same time, like what we've just been discussing from a fan standpoint, it really doesn't make sense. So, On the, you know, it looks, the like we're just shooting from the, it looks like we're shooting from the hip too much is what it looks like. The advantage of having, uh, you know, everybody is their own auteur is you get a thing like the Joker, where it doesn't fit in any chronology or any mythos yeah. that's currently on screen. But I think it was a really good movie. And it couldn't exist if you tried to cram it into a shared universe. Yeah. So there are that is the upside of but the what thing, these- But the thing, you know, looking at the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, though, I didn't really... Now, granted, I haven't seen this film, but from what I have seen of it and what I've read about it, 
I never considered it as trying to slot into the universe as no, it's, not. It it's been it laid out. So makes- that didn't bother me at all, right? No, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. That's the strength of this universe. And honestly... But the thing that... But, but, but my problem with Birds of Prey, though, it, other than what we've already talked about, is that they are trying to slot it in. You know, it's supposed to be coming after her turn with on Suicide Squad and whatever else is yeah, going on in the extended universe. And so that's like you were just saying, you know, it would have made the most, the most sense for her to go with, to be paired with Poison Ivy for a, a new fil- film. Yeah, it just doesn't, it, it's like a puzzle piece that's not quite fitting. I do totally agree with that. and But this kind of goes with my thing on, on comic companies. Marvel does a shared universe much better than DC. They always have. Yeah. They're just much better at a... The Marvel universe has always made more sense. They've just... I, I don't know how they've been able to do it through the generations, even with different people, different editors, different writers, different artists, different CEOs. It doesn't matter. Marvel has been good at the whole uni- Marvel universe thing. DC is better at one shots. Like if you think of some of the greatest stories in DC, some of their greatest comic books, they're either outside the general continuity. (laughs) Yeah. Or they could fit outside the, like killing joke. Yeah. You know, the whole swamp thing run, even though that isn't continuity, it's really not Watchmen completely outside of, you know, continuity. Just recently, the Mr. Miracle, um, mm-hmm. run by Tom King outside of continuity. They're great at stuff like that. Death of Superman, honestly, outside of continuity. You know, DC gets in trouble when they try and make all the pieces fit. You know, right. they're always doing like the new 52. I think that's the problem with trying to market towards a mass audience, though, and being Johnny come lately because a lot of people looked at look at the current incarnation of the DC cinematic universe as playing catch up to Marvel. And and in a sense they are right. And I think you're honest. If they, if they would just abandon that, that idea. Yeah. I think they could make a lot better films. I think the problem would be selling those films to a big enough audience that you get to keep making those films. Does that make sense? The problem is they wanted to build up to justice league. Yeah. And, they just, they didn't, they got in a hurry and mm-hmm. they didn't lay the ground right. And yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of what happens. And, and, and yeah, they're jealous of Marvel. Like Marvel's been much better at just having a consistent universe. Yeah. And even like when they take, what, what's really good about Marvel is they're good about making detours that feel like they're part of the overall universe that don't advance the overall plot. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is also just as a comic collector, I've always liked kind of like, I like the fact I like Ant-Man. Like I like those movies because they're not really, the stakes are lower. Yeah. But also they've been good at the difference between their movies and their TV shows. The movies are the people who punch through walls and the TV shows were the people who had their walls punched through. Yeah. Like even if not all of their Marvel shows on Netflix worked, they fit thematically in the universe. Right. You know, like, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones were these, you know, people who just live on the street level who had to deal with the destruction that the Avengers left behind. I think that was a really good theme. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which they did much better than you know Luke Cage and Iron Fist, which is a shame because I really like Luke Cage and Iron Fist as characters, and yeah. they just never they didn't really build them as the the buddy comedy that they are. Yeah, but eh, they'll try again. Still looking forward to Blade. See, I'm you know, Blade has never been my thing, but I, I, I mean, Blade was never really my thing growing up either. I mean. He, when he was kind of part of what was Blade part of? I'm blanking out now because he wasn't like back he's when, Marvel Universe, but back when we were know, kids, he wasn't by himself though. He was part of another. See, I'm going to go look it up now. Yeah, you know, he, he hunted vampires, so so it was Marvel, but I don't think I thought he was outside the general Marvel Universe continuity. I thought he was in a different plane of existence, like you know how they have like you know, all the Earths. Like he he's not. You know, Earth five eight six or whatever. <laughs> Let me think about Night Stalkers. That might be what I'm thinking of. Could be. Back but, when, back in the seventies or eighties, when I first kind of became aware of him, and so yeah, when you know the Wesley Snipes film came out, I was I was on board, man, and I thought it was a great, fun film, a, a good intro to the character and everything, and. Kind of lost me there with the third one, but you know what you're gonna do. Like yeah. it's hard to keep going for three. So I'm I'm but, kind of looking forward to what they're gonna do with them now, and I think they made a good casting choice. So we'll we'll see what happens. But to go back to our original mailbox question, I'm at least intrigued by Batman. Yeah. I, I'm not sold, but I haven't seen the movie yet, so it's I don't think anybody should have firm opinions on if it's gonna be good or not until it actually comes out. Yeah, and yeah, let's reserve judgment on Robert Pattinson. It's, it's he might be great. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not poo pooing the casting choice. I'm just. Yeah, I want to be I'm cautiously a- optimistic because you know Batman remains my favorite DC character. So I want. I I do want the movie to be successful. So I, I want. Actually, I'm rooting for Robert Pattinson to be a good Bruce Wayne and a good Batman because I, I don't want another George Clooney turn. I want more Christian Bale and more Michael Keaton. And while I'll admit to be more of a Marvel guy, I will say the world is a better place when DC and Marvel are pushing each other to be better. Yes, absolutely. So, so I want Batman to be successful as well. First off, cause it's another good movie, but also it pushes Marvel to do more creative things and they need DC pushing at their heels, you know, making them better. Cause I don't want, you know, Marvel getting fat and happy and saying, ah, we've won. Yeah. We can just keep, you know, now we can just throw out whatever we want to throw out, yeah. which is what I am kind of worried about with their next phase. So we'll we'll see what happens post Robert Downey Jr. So, yeah. all right, that's it for questions. Yeah, and we will tie that in thematically to uh, LSU football. How do things go now that we've won a national championship? Do we get fat and happy? Well, I'm already fat and happy. So <laughs> fans. That's a good attitude to have. Players, they need to stay hungry. So let's hope they keep being pushed and they keep getting better. And with that, go Tigers and good night. Mm -hmm.